The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit Matters, where we explore matters of the spirit with leading experts from across the spiritual spectrum, all designed to enrich and enlarge your wisdom, deepen your joy and peace, and awaken your inner connection to the divine. Here's your host, Philip Goldberg. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Spirit Matters. If you're tuning in for the first time and expecting to see my former co-host, Dennis Ramundi, uh, that iteration uh, ended at the end of 2022. And I'm now here on this illustrious platform, doing it by myself, continuing the tradition of deep conversations with spiritual teachers and experts of different kinds to inform and uh, improve and inspire your own spiritual path. Today, my guest, I'm happy to say, excuse me, is Joan Shivarpita Harrigan. Joan has practiced, studied, and taught Advaita Vedanta and Raja Yoga for more than 45 years. She was initiated as a monastic and mentored in Kundalini Vidya, which we'll talk about, by Swami Chandra Sekharanand Saraswati. Did I get that right, Joan? Chandra Sekharanand. Not to be mentioned by name by me again today, because <laughs> I'll mispronounce it. And she, <laughs> she was authorized to provide the services and teaching of an have a reputable lineage through Patanjali Kundalini Yoga Care here in the U.S., uh, which she was director of for 30 years. She's the author of Kundalini Vidya, The Science of Spiritual Transformation, and Stories of Spiritual Transformation, The Fulfillment of the Kundalini Process. As you can tell, she's an expert in Kundalini, and that's what we will talk about mainly. She's also a retired psychologist who specialized in spiritual concerns. Joan, welcome. Thank you, Phil. Good to be here. Good to see you again. Um, and by the way, listeners, uh, <laughs> we interviewed Joan a few years ago on the previous Spirit Matters, and you can access that and the entire archive for free at spiritual uh, spiritmatterstalk.com. Joan, uh, I always like to begin with the guest's spiritual history, mm-hmm. and because I think it's instructive for everyone. And yours is particularly interesting, because uh, in many ways, it was typical of our generation of young seekers, mm-hmm. but in many ways, quite <laughs> unusual, and in some ways, uh, unique. So give us the uh, overview, if you will. Okay. okay. Um, well, I feel I had a blessed incarnation. Um, I was born into a devout religious family. So I got spiritual education and ethical education Um, And being in 50s Catholicism was about as close to Hinduism as you can get in America. (laughs) Because it's got, you know, lots of saints and holy people, uh, whereas Hinduism has, you know, 
deities and sages. So anyway, the lives of the saints were very much accepted. And I wonder what is going on with the saints that they have such transformed, remarkable lives. Um, so I went on a spiritual retreat just on the brink of graduating high school, as we all did in my little Catholic high school, went to a monastery and um, sitting in a window after reading the gospel, I was sitting there contemplating all night um, and the house of cards just fell apart. <laughs> and nothing made sense anymore. And there I was, you know, a, a little Catholic girl who'd had all this training, and it didn't work anymore. And it was the late 60s. So, Where, Joan? Places <laughs> geographically. Oh, Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> This is this is not like you know where a lot of the um, really dynamic hullabaloo was going on. Nonetheless, we did demonstrate against the war, and civil rights was important, and the music was everywhere. Yeah, the drugs. Yeah, and the whole milieu of that culture so it was a I, college town so it makes oh sense. yeah yeah and i lived in the college ghetto oh. um in a sort of hippie commune that i designed and asked for <laughs> join in, in for low rent um so very heady years and i was a searcher a seeker um of course the beatles had been to india and that was inspirational and open hobic thing because in high school I was a gigantic beetle maniac. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after Vatican II, the music changed in Catholicism. Mm. JFK was assassinated, mm. the Beatles hit the scene, and that fixed everything. Mm. I don't know how, but uh, it really uh, spoke to my soul. So anyway, having lost my faith, I was searching um, a course. Yoga was on campus. I took yoga. I couldn't afford TM. <laughs> um, it was 35 bucks, as I recall. Yeah. Well, that was that was two weeks groceries for me, at least. Yeah, I borrowed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I came across a yoga class in the Shivananda tradition, and it included uh, some um, philosophy, certainly spiritually framed, and meditation at the end, uh, the asanas, pranayama meditation. And after that class, I was buzzing for hours through the evening. And I thought, oh my, this is something special. Um, so um, I actually married a yoga teacher <laughs> in the Shivananda tradition. Um, he got cancer and died within a year. Mm -hmm. And the whole um stage prop reality of the material world was so obvious to me after his death i went into a totally altered state and realized you know the only thing worth doing is the spiritual quest so i went into a spiritual community uh, finished my PhD and um, lived uh, very um, uh, structured lifestyle for about seven years, doing spiritual practice regularly every day. Uh, 
studying yoga and Vedanta philosophy, which I loved. The first time I ran across Vedanta, it was like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. And I read the I read Vedanta and I went, I know Vedanta. Yeah. And it was familiar. So I, I studied um and then uh I got a free trip to India to be the meditation teacher for a tour because the pundit who was going to do it fell sick and my schedule was open. So I had been praying and yearning for India. And we toured all through the North and South and in those beautiful big temples and little bitty cave-like temples I was blessed with inner visions of um, the sages that were affiliated with the places we went. It was just, um, I don't have a word for it. (laughs) Um, And I was staying at a little ashram in Rishikesh afterward uh, on the Ganga bank. And there was this little Swami who came to teach Sanskrit. And he looked like the embodiment of ancient India. That was my Swamiji, Chandra Shekharanand. And I was supposed to go back to the place where I had been living in America, the spiritual community, the car came. And I thought, I can't do that. Hmm. that Sorry, I don't know that. Oh, that That was Siri. Wow. (laughs) Okay. It's my my story, Siri. (laughs) Find out, Siri. (laughs) She doesn't know it anyway. Um, So I sent the car away, which meant I was in India with no money, no support, but I just could not go back to what I had been after what I realized as the truth. And I knew that Swamiji was no ordinary Swami. So I approached him and said, um, will you please teach me? He took out a Shankara text, which had, which had the sadhana, Chatushtaya, the prerequisites of a student. Mm. And he held them up and went down the list. Do you have this? Uh, No, Swamiji. Do you have this? Uh, Some. Do you have this? No, you don't. Do you have this? Yes, you have this. So anyway, I met enough of the criteria that he agreed to teach me. Wow. And as we... um, got into that instruction. Of course, he's a master of kundalini vidya. Vidya means the art and science, the grokking experientially and in detail, like an engineer of how kundalini shakti works um, in each human being for our spiritual progression. She is the divine within. So he started teaching me um showing a, a a verse from scripture, giving me a practice that matched it and different scriptures um, because the teachings are like gold nuggets all over the Vedic and Tantric literature and yogic. Um, and under his instruction, um i had had um a decade prior unbeknownst to me an occult charm placed in my brain to make me be a true believer mm. and suddenly one night during my practice i found myself rolling writhing around the floor in the room I was in. It was supposed to be shared by four people, but I was on on my own. 
And so I had lots of room and I just rolled around for hours. And the next morning I was like, Swamiji, what was that? It was Christmas Eve. And he said, the bad entity is gone from you. Mm. Wow. Yep. And I could feel um, lighter, more aware. And my intense yearning, I'm sure, and my refusal to go back to the old place opened up so that he, with his yogic mastery, could, you know, do sort of like, um, did you ever read Dr. Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts? No. That was a, a great favorite of mine in the late 60s. I don't remember. It was Marvel, not DC. Anyway, um, Cumberbatch played Dr. Strange in modern times. Anyway, it was sort of like a battle between the great Dormammu and Dr. Strange. This is a silly analogy, but Swamiji had skill mm. in in that domain, which he had learned for his own protection uh, as a young yogi. Anyway, um, then a week later during my practice, Swamiji had said, go to this room where he had been teaching the boys Sanskrit. Um, in yoga, everybody is boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> so these are grown men, not boys, nonetheless. Um, and the room was charged. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I sat there and did my practice. And um, suddenly, sort of in the left upper field, an aperture opened. And bright moonlight shone through, and I saw a being made of moonlight. Um, no hair, not male, not female, not young, not old, wise. Benevolent. He reached out his hand and touched my heart, which is where my kundalini process had been struck, stuck through Sishramnanadi to the heart chakra. And there's a little cap at the top of the heart chakra, and Shakti couldn't break through that cap. So the great master opened that. And Kundalini Shakti was able to rush up to upper Agna Chakra at Makara point. Um, and I went into a, a, a blissful, bright light. It felt like I was off the floor. I don't know how long I maintained that state, but I, I came back i was aware that i was sitting in a dark room i gathered my things left the building swamiji was running from the other side of the campus in the building where he'd gone with the boys to meditate instead of having sanskrit class that evening he came running he said the great master himself has initiated you i didn't really know what that meant but i had felt it and he was so happy. And so was I. And that was the beginning of my real spiritual life, my real spiritual instruction, which went on for 30 more years under Swamiji's mentorship. And if I can uh, add a, a, an important feature, you were uh, authorized by him to represent that lineage here in the West. Yes. Am I correct? Yes. Which is, you know, a rare thing for a, a, a woman and B, a Western woman, not born into the tradition to uh, be given that level of authority. And uh, hence, 
Patanjali Kundalini. What is Yogi it? Here. Kundalini Vidya. Yes. USA. And, and I, was, mm-hmm. I, I was the only disciple until near his death. And um, basically, he said, You've graduated, you're on your own. You are Shivarpita, you are renunciate. Live that. Um, but the the the, <laughs> the lineage when Swamiji, you know, was asking permission to instruct me, said uh, they didn't object to me being female. They objected to me being a Westerner. Right. And Swamiji said, "Oh, that's just her physical body." Last <laughs> one, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. she was a Vedic woman. Besides which. The great master initiated her. Are you going to argue with that? Nice. So they he got consensus approval. Um, in your description of this <clears throat> remarkable spiritual story, you use terms that some of the listeners would not be familiar with and that I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Um Kundalini is a somewhat familiar term in the general culture. Uh, some of us heard it for the first time 40, 50 years ago. Yes. There were uh, gurus teaching in the name of Kundalini Yoga. There was uh, a lot of sensational uh, stories and books uh, written about Kundalini. Uh, and in my experience over the years, um, a lot of misinformation yes. and misconception about it. So please tell us from the point of view of your expertise and your history, what is Kundalini? Why is it something we should know about regardless of whether we're in a particular tradition or not? According to um, Vedic, Tantric, and Tantric um, scriptures, ancient, where the term originated, Kundalini is Kundalini Shakti, the divine within. Much like one would think of um, uh, Krishna in the heart of Hanuman, Mm. or... um, the Holy Spirit being within the tabernacle of each human being. And so Shakti, the divine in feminine form, feminine principle, um, is the inner guru who knows us perfectly and intimately and is the inner guide of our spiritual life. And kundalini process can manifest um, gently, quietly, peacefully, but potently um, with incremental, perhaps, um, transition points, as in my story, with my intense yearning, and I could feel the pain and pressure in the heart area where where she was stuck. I came in with a released kundalini process. So there wasn't any, you know, big transition transition in that way. <clears throat> um in my experience, there are at least three camps of kundalini. Um, as it is known in the West, the first is is spiritual, and that is scripture based, and um, the solution to Kundalini process has to be a spiritual solution. One has to be a, an aspirant, a practitioner of some spiritual 
path so that you can cooperate with the divine within um, with love and trust and um, do your own bit, be self-reliant in holding up your end of the deal. The Another camp would be kind of on the opposite end of the continuum, and that would be the occult. And there are two aspects to that camp. Um, one is the wowie-zowie, <laughs> oh boy, there are goodies to be harvested, um, genius and psychic ability, and I want that. And so this sort of a, a greedy um <laughs> spiritual dope. materialism kind exactly. of thing. And it's yeah. about dopamine fun. Yeah. And power. Yes. Power for the sake of power and power over mm-hmm. also. A, a real misuse. And the other part of that camp would be um like religious people who see it as demonic demonic forces and you know don't go anywhere near anything occultish run away run away uh, avoid it remove it if you can the third camp is the one that is most well known and this camp views kundalini as an aberrant energy that might suddenly, out of nowhere, as if attack some regular person who wasn't even necessarily, you know, doing anything spiritual, maybe dabbling a little bit in some methods, or just for no apparent reason, bam, this amazing thing happens it might be horrific it might be exotic it might be like cosmic consciousness all of a sudden and the person knows nothing about what the deal is and so there's this secondary reaction to this amazing thing um which is traumatic in itself and so it's come to be known in some circles as kundalini syndrome hmm. or a spiritual emergency. And this energy um, causes all kinds of mental, emotional, and as if physical difficulties, which have to be treated by therapeutic modalities to subdue its intensity. And if practitioners are into diagnostic categories they'll find one or two or three (laughs) and maybe even treat it with subduing medications medications with a c i hear you say yes medications so (laughs) these three three camps of the three camps the middle one is the big one and people who have such experiences, according to Kundalini Vidya, it seems to me, because there are different routes that Kundalini Shakti can take upon her release from Muladhara, the root chakra at the bottom of the spinal. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24 through 26, at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. If I may, people... um, Think of Kundalini as uh, it's often described as uh, in a coil kind of shape at the base of the spine, at the lowest chakra, and is un- released and rises through. I mean, I know that's 
superficial, yes. but that's the understanding. That's the way it is. I I would love to go into the whole metaphorical, <laughs> beautiful from the Puranas, how this is described as Shakti and Shiva being together, and then Shakti has to manifest the whole universe and winds up at earth element, which is the root chakra, yearning, pining, looking up to uh-huh. Shiva, her partner, on the uh-huh. top of Mount Kailash. Anyway, I did go into the metaphor. So it's a, it's a lovely one. That's the story. And Shakti, according to Kundalini Vidya, which gathers information from the Puranas, the the sutras, the um Upanishads and the tantric literature, uh, etc., um, uh, says that there are six Shakti Nadis routes that Shakti can enter. The preferred one is Sushumna, which takes spiritual focus and practice, and then she can enter Sushumna and usually go to the heart, the throat or the brow. Um, however, there are two deflected nadis. Nadis are kind of like columns? Currents, yes. That prana energy can flow through, or these six that kundalini can flow through. So two of them, Saraswati and Vajranadi, um, don't require any spiritual focus, any spiritual training, that just requires intense life event or shock, which makes the mind focus one pointedly because it is so intense. And then Shakti can uncoil. And there's a whole story of how the values function so that she can uncoil. She can uncoil and easily enter one of these other Nadis, other than Sushumna. Those are the three most popular, um, most common Nadis, I should say. Um, those are the ones we hear about with Kundalini syndrome, because usually if Kundalini goes through Sushumna, it's not an emergency. Like throat chakra people are, you know, the pillars of society. Mm. They're Art, they're creative, they're talented, they're stable. They do have unmet desires. They can go off the rails for for pleasure if their prana gets depleted or their neurotransmitters get depleted. Um, but if they are virtuous and ethical and don't go off the rails um, with those... Um, dopamine-creating uh, behaviors. Um, they're fabulous. Oh, my God. They have more fun than any other rising <laughs> <laughs> because they can develop a stable life, use their creativity and intelligence in purposeful ways, Um but if it's a kundalini emergency, um, that's that's very difficult. And that's where kundalini became famous in the West from the deflected risings that are so dramatic and difficult. And um, the, the people suffer. And so therapists try to find a way to address it. But if they do not address it from the perspective of we need a spiritual solution, mm-hmm. it's not going to improve because those uh, deflected risings need to be diverted into Sushumna and elevated to upper brow Makara point, as does throat chakra people need to be not diverted. They're already in Sushumna, but they need to elevate. And like throat chakra people have a particular yearning 
for spiritual development if they heed it rather than going off the rails. <laughs> and my understanding is that in Kundalini Vidya, there are methods for oh, doing yes. what you just said. Yes. And the average psychotherapist, even one who's spiritually informed, would not know exactly. those. Which is why one has to go to a spiritually based support person. And um, the prerequisite for um, spiritual development is healthy, ethical, spiritual lifestyle. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to get improvement. Mm. And shifting to a spiritual perspective is is really tough sometimes for deflected rising people because many of them haven't had spiritual training. It wasn't required uh, how many lifetimes ago when they got this rising. Um, and it doesn't seem maybe that the divine is their friend because mm. they're suffering. And so it's a difficult, perhaps, transition but a necessary one. And I spend a whole chapter, the last chapter of the book, Kundalini Vidya, which I am revising and expanding. Uh, it might come out at the end of the year. <laughs> see. But the whole last chapter is healthy, ethical, spiritual lifestyle, because you have to have that platform. I do not go into the aspect of Kundalini Vidya that... It, um, describes the practices mm -hmm. that people might do because that requires individual mm -hmm. instruction and a relationship with the spiritual director who knows how to assess what kind of process somebody has and determine what practices will be helpful. And that's what Swamiji and I did for 30 years in mm -hmm. EKYC USA, which um, I took the tent down. <laughs> um, that is no longer my calling. Swami is no longer, Swamiji is no longer in the body. And that's not my job. A colleague in Austria um, has continued that oh. she worked with very few people. Um, but this contact information is on my website. Okay. So that answers oh. one of my three questions. Was, okay. Excuse me. If uh, in uh, a listener or uh, somebody wants to uh, uh, follow your advice and find a spiritual director, uh, and it has to be an individualized program. Where do they go? Because I know you had essentially retired. Uh, yes. So that information's on your website? You know, I talked to Rick Archer about yeah, this. My good friend. And I Rick. know you have an interest in finding solid, really spiritual, highly ethical, teachers in america it's a tough find mm -hmm. sadly um people who teach in groups i don't think that's gonna do much um people teachers who are unethical excluded they don't have the juice um Shakti, however, is always available, mm. potent, effective, but you have to meet the prerequisite criteria. And that's what I describe in a healthy spiritual lifestyle. That's what yoga philosophy, Vedanta philosophy, they start with that, the yamas and yamas, the Sanatatushtaya describe what 
a qualified student should have? Let's go into that a little bit, because as you know, um, ethics uh, is an important aspect of life and spiritual life, but in especially um, what we might call alternative spiritual contexts, such as the ones we traveled in, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and uh, was often either ignored or assumed to be more a result of spiritual practice than a prerequisite for spiritual practice. And in my experience, uh, it's not necessary. It's not a, an inevitable result of spiritual practice, but it can be elevated by spiritual practice. What, um, in your tradition and in your perspective, what constitutes a healthy, ethical, spiritual lifestyle? First, do no harm (laughs) to self or others. Second, truth. Seek truth. Be honest. Walk the talk. Satya. Satya. (laughs) These, These two were Gandhiji's guiding lights, non harming and truth. Um, and he he got the Brits out of India <laughs> on those two ethical principles. Wow. Um, I, I, I don't think going into detail with all of those, um, they're in the Yoga Sutras, the Yamas and Yamas. They're the first two rungs of the Raj Yoga, mm-hmm. um, eight-runged. Um, spiritual process. Um, in essence, there has to be non-attachment and discernment, which is mm. getting to truth. Um, and a strong yearning for spiritual life. There are other virtues or or ethics. I would um, uh, just summarize what the student needs. And to me, having been heart chakra, um, I can see the importance of enduring love Hmm. for the divine. There has to be faith, trust, and an I-thou relatedness the divine is ever present ever knowing and and beneficent and an enduring long-term love um i, I want to get to that later when we talk about neurotransmitters if we get that far um the next is spiritual study and i don't mean you know flashy for the moment teachers who are on the circuit. I mean deep level time-tested scripture and autobiographical um and teachings of great sages and saints. Study that, contemplate that, and that will grow discernment. And the third is spiritual practice which usually means, in a nutshell, keep your body healthy, good food, uh, some kind of stretching and exercise, but also uh, breath awareness, diaphragmatic breathing through the nose, and meditation. Uh, Being a yoga Vedanta practitioner, my preference is mantra meditation. And the the breath mantra, so hum, so as you inhale, hum as you inhale, exhale, you're thinking that, goes with the breathing. Very simple, very centering. And 
it actually has a meaning in Sanskrit, which is I am that. Mm -hmm. Or use the mantra Om, which is the highest mantra in the Vedic literature. And will um, strengthen the spiritual um, yearning and endeavor. Um, so, can I talk about neurotransmitters? I was for about to do that. Let me ask the question because um, okay. um, in the notes I have for you, um, I've one of the things that stands out is you use a combination of uh, yogic or terms, Sanskrit terms, like, you know, I'm looking at my screen right now and I see Rajas and Thomas and I see uh, other other terms. And modern scientific terms. You've already mentioned dopamine. Uh, I see neurotransmitters up here. And as part of your answer to me about the east-west combination that you're uh, uh, articulating, you also mentioned soma. Yes. Now, what's, I'm going to bring this in, and you can use our next 10 minutes. <laughs> People think of soma, which appears in the Vedic texts, as a substance that's ingested, like it's, people have speculated what plant it is. Uh -huh. Is it what makes LSD? Is it psilocybin? What is it? Where? Which plant is it? How was it made and then ingested? But I've also heard, no, 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 it's not something that's ingested. It's, that's a mistranslation. It's something produced in the body. Yes. And you use the term self-generate soma. So now take it away, Joan. <laughs> <laughs> I have been so fascinated by um, this topic, particularly of late. Swamiji was very interested in brain science, mm -hmm. Kabbalah, Vidya. Um, and I know that spiritual practice and kundalini process affect brain function and neurotransmitter production, and it changes the brain. And Andrew Newberg and his colleagues, are, you know, who did all those mar marvelous um functional MRI studies of changes in the brain mm -hmm. with various kinds of spiritual practitioners. We know different parts of the brain light up with altered spiritual states. And I don't know that he's done these studies, but over time, if the brain is in a different sort of neurotransmitter soup, <laughs> it's going to create new um, neurons, new receptors uh, to accommodate that neurotransmitter production, which means it changes the brain. If the brain is changed, your whole way of being in yourself with others and in the world changes. So um, dopamine is the... Um, Rajas Thomas um, um, roller coaster. Rajas is um, dynamic and out there and powerful. Thomas is, oh God, I'm dull. <laughs> I can't do anything. I don't, I'm lethargic. Um, so uh, the desire circuit of dopamine um, affects our pleasure center. And releases dopamine it it is pleasure seeking this dynamic uh, anticipation um it also serves to motivate us to have us to do something but if from in a spiritual context we can overdo that desire circuit 
even with religiosity. This mm. is where zealotry, true believer. I am so brainwashed into this cult that any uh, cognitive dissonance or, or paradigm busters that come in should bust a paradigm, but they don't because there's no cognitive dissonance because the neurotransmitter setup that's established in the brain um, is set and it takes, you know, plastic explosives or something to get, <laughs> to get out of that cult mentality that's set up by uh, uh, dopamine. But it is, it, it, this dire circuit is about um, passionate love um enthusiasm excitement the thrill it is the i want but with training we can shift the flow of dopamine to the reward or control pathway that goes to the prefrontal cortex and this is training buddhi that aspect of the four functions is mine, the fourth and highest aspect of mine, that um, called buddhi, which is discernment and willpower and decision-making. Um, we can analyze and comprehend, imagine, foresee consequences so we can plan out good courses of action and guide ourselves into more positive consequences. So um, learning is a big aspect of, of training the mind to go into the uh, reward pathway, the control circuit. Um, so that's dopamine. But there is a third aspect of neurotransmitters, and that is the contentment pathway. Mm. Um, here called here and now um, molecules. And that is a cocktail of serotonin, oxytocin, endocannabinoids, which are self-generated um thc hmm. in our own brain and body and um endogenous opioid peptides which are endorphins our own morphine um oh, it, it may let me interrupt a second joan you uh -huh. you said it's a kind of cocktail mix this these four substances and there are Is, more which i didn't mention um, and yes. this is um, well established now in the neuro in the neuroscience. I am citing. Um, I, I read three books recently. Uh -huh. Put all this together. Um, I'll just tell you the references. Okay. Dopamination by Anna Limke, The Molecule of More by Lieberman and Long, and The Hacking of the American Mind by Lustig. And they review um, the role, particularly of dopamine, mm. and how this this society, this culture, um, gets us hooked on dopamine highs. Mm. But the spiritual aspirant has to eschew that whole. Um, secular world dynamic which is how can i get different and more dopamine highs and get more into this control circuit of dopamine let me learn let me consider uh let me predict consequences and choose good ones forward looking um and it gets into the that gets into the cortical um prefrontal cortex. And the I call it a cocktail. It is a combination of ingredients that makes a nectar, Amrit, Soma. 
that the brain itself produces. Yogis say, yogis of yore, that it drips down um, past talu, which is that, what's that little dingly thing at the end of the soft palate? I forget its name. Oh, I know what you mean. I don't anyway, remember. It, it drips down from the back of the throat, from the lower brain, mm. and and gives the whole system a sense of not excitement, but contentment. This is the sattvic. I'm okay. I'm I'm okay. An okayness that is enduring, and this is um companion net, net love that lasts through the decades like in a in a partnership in a marriage the first part is all about dopamine i think about you every minute of every day <laughs> i want to be with you all the time you're the best person in the universe you know <laughs> well that lasts a year that's, a year that's why we have such great love songs Yes, <laughs> um, but to get through the decades, you need a serotonin-based emotion of you're my companion. You're not perfect. You're not the best, but you're mine. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm used to that. I'm used to you. I can cooperate with you. I know you. Trust you. Hmm? Pardon? I trust you. I trust you. <laughs> yes. And this is going to work. Not the ideal, not perfect, but here we are on the planet. Let's just keep doing this together. And this sounds like spiritual maturity, for one thing. Yes. I mean, when you talk about dopamine highs, I just think that, well, you know, that's spirituality 101. The pleasures are transient. Exactly. Shift your attention to, to the, those that endure. We don't have much time, uh, Joan, so I want to ask, um, well, for one thing, uh, when you talked about the nectar that's produced, Yes. The first thing I, it's a cynical thought, but a real one. Somebody listening could say, I gotta, I gotta find the, the drink. No. The, the medicine that's going to produce that for people. And there is a big movement. Yes. Plant medicine, psychedelics, micro. Yes. That's another book. Pollen has yes, yes about all of that, and that's not going to hack it. That's storming the kingdom. That you know, it's like breaking your fist through the the membrane into the subtle realm. Well, that you can see then what's in the subtle realm. Ooh, it's all psychedelic in here. Wow, is that? <laughs> So what fun. Let's play in there. Or there are important insights that I need to get through this psychological issue. There are gentler, more effective ways to get those understandings of the subtle realm that don't make a fist hole in the membrane. And that's what yoga and Vedanta spiritual practice or any bona fide spiritual path with his practices will get you, but it requires patience, um, endurance, because it's not all joy, um, determination. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit on my meditation seat twice a day, no matter what, even if it's only two seconds, <laughs> because I have, you know, world research, I'm going to, my butt is going to hit that pillow. Gotcha. And that's why some of us who of this uh, our age group um <clears throat> stopped using drugs and yes. turned to spiritual practice. They don't do the trick. They yeah. trick you. And they muddle up the subtle the prana system. They toxify the prana system. Very hard to get them out once they're in there. Mm. 
um, yeah, not good. We have to close, unfortunately, Joan. Um, final words, brief words for oh, our listeners. About finding a bona fide teacher. If you send out a laser beam prayer, I have met the prerequisites to the best of my ability. I need a real teacher or true inner direction to the right thing and just beg, beg, beg. Okay. There you have it, listeners. Joan, <laughs> thank you so much. It's, it's a great pleasure to see you again. And uh, listeners, thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Tell your friends about it. Email me with suggestions. Uh, go to my website, philipgoldberg.com. Check out what I'm doing. And you can email me through there. Get on my mailing list. I promise I don't send out frequent, annoying messages. Just important information. <laughs> Joan, thanks again. And keep up the good work. Oh. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.